Welcome everyone to the Follow the Yogi podcast. I'm Vicki Santana, your host. Join me every week while I'll share with you mind-blowing secrets of the practice of yoga, the philosophy of it, the physical practice of it, and I tie it all together so we can apply these secrets to our lives. Stay tuned. You might just find a little gem that will change your life. And now, on to our next dose of Follow the Yogi. If you're easily offended, you're easily manipulated. If you are not conscious of your vulnerabilities and your weaknesses, then you are also easily manipulated. Welcome everyone, Vicki Santana here, and welcome to this podcast. If you have ever been in contact with a psychopath, you know the devastation they initially leave behind. And no, devastation isn't an understatement. Depending on the amount of time and the level of intimacy that you allowed this person into your life, devastation is actually a tame word. I had an encounter with a psychopath. Now, I always thought that they were serial killers or so obvious to make out that how could you ever be conned by a psychopath? But it was that very mindset that made me a perfect target for the psychopath. Now, this isn't a podcast about the psychopath. In the years that it took me to recover from this encounter, I've learned a lot about it myself, and I wanted to pass some of that wisdom along. Now, this all rides under the umbrella of Svadhyaya, or learning of ourselves. The one question that you can only ask once you've been through the dark pipe is what qualities did I have that made me prime for the abuse? Now, in no way am I implying that the victim is at blame. In fact, the victim never even had a running chance because they didn't see it coming. The psychopath already knew that this victim was going to surrender. I'm coming from a place of what was going on inside of me that allowed me to fall for the ruse, the lying, the deceit, and forgive over and over and over again only to be duped again, progressively worse each time. Why did I not see that everything I was doing was completely the opposite of how I have behaved in any relationships up until that time, romantic or otherwise? To understand where I'm coming from, we need a little bit of a backdrop to understand this whole process. So stay with me. Psychopaths feed on our weaknesses, our vanities, and our insecurities. They literally mirror us, our past, our goals, our likes, our dislikes, and etc. And they do this to create an immediate bond. They figure out what parts of us need TLC and then target their attention to get the appearance that the things we don't like about ourselves, or maybe the things that we are, that we like a lot about ourselves. Uh, They give the appearance that they love, admire, envy, and super proud of us because of those qualities. They gave, give the illusion that they are blown away by our uniqueness. Now, in a typical mind, we do this to our loved ones because we really do love them. We want them to see the beauty that lies within them, even when they can't see it in themselves. From a normal person, this is love, compassion, patience, empathy, and with no agenda other than to give kindness. In a psychopath's mind, 
They give these expressions of acceptance to give the appearance of love, but mostly to get the target to respond in kind. In other words, they're fishing for the target to tell them how wonderful, handsome, smart, sexy they are. They play this game until they see that the target is dependent on their approval. They do this so the target falls in love with them rather quickly, quickly before the target can actually see that the psychopath is not any of these things that they mimic to be because they can only manipulate someone to the soul-crushing degree if that person, if the target, is head over heels in love with them. And because we can't wear a mask for very long, eventually it begins to slip. The love bombing is constructed in such a way so that the target really does either fall in love or is infatuated or is addicted, whichever phrase you want to use, to the psychopath quickly. Now, when the target is primed, they begin the process of breaking the target down. They begin cheating and lying, withholding affection, gaslighting, and making the target question their very sanity. Now, the thing about the psychopath is they never go away. They move on to other targets and mirror them while staying with the original target and devaluing and emotionally abusing that original target. Over time, the target's confidence, sanity, perception of reality are so skewed in the direction of the psychopath, they don't know what's up, they don't know what's down. And I know, you ask, how can someone that's intelligent, that's confident, that's streetwise, how can someone allow themselves to be fooled in this fashion You know, if you can think of how these magnetic personalities, these cult followers can convince people to follow, to let go of all of their money, um, you know, to kill for them. These are the same skills that a psychopath uses on a much smaller scale, and they use it so they can attain things for themselves. Everything a psychopath does is for their attainment of something. It has nothing to do with the benefit of the target, ever. By the way, the targets are usually smart, successful, kind, loving. And here's their biggest weakness usually. They're morally strong individuals. And that's almost a guarantee that the target will not harm the psychopath, will not cheat on the psychopath, will continue to come back over and over again because their inner fabric, their moral, is right and it's strong and it doesn't get beaten up or it doesn't get tarnished very easily because that's the fabric that they live their life. That's wonderful for the psychopath because they know that that person is so morally upright that no matter what the psychopath does to them, they will come back trying to fix things. Okay, so that's a super short outline of the process. There's a lot more that goes on with this, and You don't need to go through all the details. That overview is just enough. Just understand 
that the manipulation that happens happens the same way that a cult leader does to a cult follower, just on a much smaller scale, incredibly intense and incredibly convincing until it's too late for the target. Now, it's taken years to recover from this, and I mean years. You know, at first I experienced shame, then disbelief, then anger, then hate, and of course I was impatient with the process because it was taking so long to get through this process. But one day I finally was able to look inward. You see, when you're abused at this level for eight years, there's really nothing left in you. You literally need years to just um, allow yourself to rise again. You end up numb for a while because the life was literally sucked out of you. As bad as it was, as debilitating as it was and devastating as it was, I'm actually one of the lucky ones. Some never make it out alive. Some never see it, never leave, and they keep themselves of this cycle of push, pull, on and off, devalue, and love bombing. It's soul-crushing. I pray for those individuals. I really do. Now, my main goal in this part of my healing was to process, was to understand myself better so I could see how someone could manipulate my weaknesses and also my strengths and turn my world upside down. This part, this exercise of bringing the lessons back to me is part of our yogic practice, svadhyaya, study of the self. You see, I could have gone the rest of my life beating on a tin can, complaining about what had happened to me. But as a yogi, we have to bring the story back into ourselves because complaining about the outside world, complaining about what someone else did, um, or blaming, or being a victim is the ultimate giving over of our power. If we continue to sit in the victim chair and continue to blame the outside world as the psychopath does, then we've pretty much given all of our power away. And although I don't think in terms of win or lose, if I did, that would be the ultimate loss. Because all of my strength well, I would have surrendered it to someone else. So by now I've asked the question, what made me such a prime target for so long and what blinded me to allow an outsider and to ignore these red flags? And why didn't I see them? The first thing that I realized was that the person had a mindset that I didn't even know existed. And I know that sounds really naive, I like to think more innocent. I know psychopaths existed as serial killers, as overt narcissists, as people that run a country, but I had no idea that someone who appeared so loving, meek, wounded, kind, sensitive, would be a psychopath. I only came later to understand covert narcissism and malicious narcissism. So my first realization was, My innocence 
was what allowed this to even be possible. I don't even want to call it ignorance because that's almost an unkind word. I wasn't ignorant, although I was. (laughs) I was more innocent. You see, I believe in unconditional love. I believe in the human condition of continuing to improve ourselves, to right ourselves, to find a deeper meaning of life. Notice how I haven't said these things in the past tense, because I haven't changed my mindset. I don't care to. I still believe in these things, because to not believe in them is to allow myself to be broken at such a depth, at such a point of no return, that I don't want to surrender that. I believe that people mean what they say. I believe that people are loyal and moral and ethical. For me, lying is an absolute wrong thing to do. And if you're in a relationship and you no longer want to be in it or you want to be with someone else, then you end that relationship that you're in and you don't turn around and go back. I did and I do believe that evil exists now in human form. And that actually breaks my heart. Some of my innocence has been lost. Now, I believe that every single sentient being has a divine spirit behind them. But I also believe now, I've seen it, I've witnessed it. There is evil in human form. So that mindset of unicorns and skittles and rainbows, that was my first characteristic that made me prime for the abuse. Because you see, just as a psychopath is going to project their void, their emptiness, their hate, their insecurities, their lack of ability to actually bond and connect with another human being, I was also projecting my frame of reference of life based on what existed inside of me. And instead of using my higher intellect, my buddhi, to see what that person was doing, to see myself what I was doing, instead of seeing us as separate and apart, I made the mortal error of filling in the gap. Now, I say filling in the gap. So instead of seeing the person as they are, I saw them as their potential. When this person would ask me, why are you even with me? I should have said or seen that that was a red flag, that that person doesn't even think they're worthy of me. Why should I think that they are worthy of me? Instead of allowing that person to make or break it, I would fill their shortcomings with my way of being. And this was the most pivotal realization that I made. I never fell in love with that other person. I actually fell in love with the best version of myself. And I want everybody to hear this. You know, it's a little embarrassing that I went through it. But if I can help one person by saying this statement and clarifying it, my hope is that it stops others from falling into this horrible abyss of abuse from a psychopath. 
because a psychopath has nothing to give, they really don't give much. Oh, they pretend to. But if you really pay attention, all they're doing is talking. They don't do anything. And here's the sadder part. Everything that they introduce into the relationship, literally, they adopt it from someone else that they're priming, that they're targeting, that they're setting up to play an instrumental role in their life so they can actually mirror their personality, their likes, the places that they go on vacation, the restaurants that they go to, the information that they have in their head. So the psychopath is giving just enough to keep you interested. But me, the target, I'm filling up his gap with who I am and how I do things and how I share and all this other stuff. It was the most wonderful moment of my life when I realized that that person had never given me anything to love. But the gift that he gave me was because he didn't give me anything to love, I brought it upon myself and bridged that gap. And I didn't fall in love with him. I was projecting myself onto him And I fell in love with the best version of myself because in order for the relationship to work, I had to bridge the gap because there was nothing there coming from the other side. There can't be any there coming from the other side because there's nothing there. Everything that they have inside of themselves is pretending. The emotions are not real. They've learned to mimic empathy and compassion And they do it with words, but if you watch their actions, they're incredibly cruel and self-serving. So I had to go inside of myself and figure out what my vanities were. What's a vanity? Basically, a vanity is anything that we take pride in. It could be on our appearance, our qualities, our abilities, our achievements. Now, I didn't even know I had these vanities, but that's the skill of a psychopath. They knew what I was, he knew what I was very proud of. And when they notice this, that these are areas of confidence in you, then they over compliment, over congratulate, over support all of these vanities that we have. And over time, we begin to be a little bit more dependent on their acceptance of us for our own worth. And again, it is. It blows my mind that I even fell for this. And yet I understand now, in hindsight, how I fell for it. They make you feel like those vanities are the strongest thing about you. And they make such a huge deal about them and how much they love those qualities about you. But it's short-lived because eventually those are the very qualities that they're going to hate you for. Those are the very things that they're going to when their mask falls, insult you about, be disgusted about, um, talk to other people and smear your campaign or smear your name about. It's really sad. You put your trust in someone and the problem is I've put myself in the trust in someone that doesn't even know the value of trust. 
So for me, it's easy to see what my vanities were because all I have to look at is what he overemphasized at the beginning. And then I paired what he said with what he actually did to realize that none of the things were true. None of them. None of them. That's probably one of the most challenging things when you come across a psychopath is to finally come to the acknowledgement that the person that you felt for, fell in love with, spent all this time for, really wanted the best for, never existed. It was never real. So all that time, you have to reconcile in your mind and look at things as they really are, only to realize that nothing was really coming back. It was all a facade and it was being played out excellently. And then it was being filtered by my thought of that person's potential. It was never real. That's a heartbreaker for me, at least. But that's the reality of it. Now, I'm incredibly grateful that he awakened me to know what these vanities are, to know that that was a weakness of mine, to know that I did have pockets about myself that I'm prideful about. Now, some of my vanities, one of them was my level of intelligence. Now, intellectually, I know that this was something that I was born with, but it is a quality of mine that I'm proud of, and I did a lot to hone and to improve and use it to my advantage to build my life. Another vanity was my ability to um, think and look at life and experience it youthfully. I really didn't have a childhood. I think I grew up or I came out of the womb as an adult. And it's only now this late in life that I have the confidence and the ability to have more fun in my life. I like that about myself. I like the fact that even though I'm aging, I'm not getting old. Two different things. Now, those are just some of my vanities that I have. I don't think it's necessary to list them all. There are way too many of them. But just for you to understand the point, to get to know ourselves well enough to know that these are points of pride for us. And if someone sees that in us, that kind of strokes our ego a little bit, helps ruffle my feathers, makes the chest puff out. I mean, everyone wants to be recognized. How wonderful is it for someone else to acknowledge the very things that you like about yourself? The danger is that when it's done too much, when you begin to depend on that person's perception of those qualities that you love about yourself, you're basically giving your power to someone else and how you see yourself. You're priming yourself to being taken advantage of. I stress, this is only when you come across any version of a psychopath in a normal relationship. That's not the case. Now, for a really long time, I thought that everything that was exploited in me were weaknesses. I was confused because that person had given me the impression that the same qualities that I held, they held. But a person can only hold on to that mask for so long. And the very thing, the fiber in the core of who I am, the things that I can't change about myself and that I don't have to, they just come out the way I am. Those are my strengths. 
So instead of seeing myself as weak, as wanting to get rid of these very qualities that were taken advantage of, I started making a list of the things that were perceived and used as weaknesses, as blind spots, and started looking at more as, as strengths instead of weaknesses. Now the fact that I didn't have strong enough boundaries or that I didn't see those things as being able to be taken advantage of didn't make the qualities that I had a bad thing. So after a period of being incredibly numb, I started taking inventory of the very things that were considered weaknesses, but that were actually my strengths, and here are just some of them. The first one is, I like action over words. I'm a humble person. I know that everything that I've done, I haven't done by myself. It's been with the assistance from others, teachings from former masters, and I don't own the result. In fact, I think it's very arrogant and uncomfortable for me to constantly be touting my successes. But that should have been a red flag for me. Instead of watching someone's actions, I listened to their words, and I believed their words more than I did the action. If you find yourself in a situation where what someone says and what they do are two totally different things, or even remotely or inconsistent, take pause, take a step back, no matter how much you have invested, because I promise you, if all we're paying attention to are the words and we're not paying attention to the actions, it's not the words that are going to hurt us over time. It's the actions when they don't sync up with what you're approving to have in your relationship. Another one of mine is I have a ridiculous strong moral compass, and I pay strong attention to rules and ethics. It's the way I am. I get to fall asleep, put my head on my pillow every single night with a clear conscience. I believe in integrity of doing the right thing, even though no one is watching. That became a weakness in this relationship, relationship because again, I protected that part of me into, or I projected that part of me into the other person. It was unfathomable to me. I couldn't believe that someone did not have a moral compass, a conscious, and would want to impart harm onto someone else. It just, it didn't register for me. I did, I did. And that's one of the things that set me up. I really don't think, didn't think that people walked on this earth for the sole purpose of using people, taking advantage of people and not giving it a second thought. <sighs> that was a big one for me. And it goes back to, Hey, Pay attention to actions, not words. The third one is I take responsibility for my actions and I don't blame others for my problems. And I actually probably take responsibility for the actions of other people just to be on the safe side. This became a weakness in the relationship because the only person that I can control is myself. And I was constantly thinking of what I can or what I have or what I should be doing to make the situation either better or what I did to make the situation the way it was. What I didn't understand was psychopaths don't take responsibility for their actions like ever. 
they are in the perpetual mood or the perpetual cycle of being a victim. They don't do anything wrong. Everyone is poo-pooing on them and they constantly have to be saved. If you look at a relationship or the relationships, if you even want to call it that, that a psychopath has, number one, they're probably sucking the spiritual vibration out of multiple people. Number two, they convince people to do things that honestly they should be doing for themselves, but they're they either don't want to, don't like to, they're too lazy, they think it's beneath them, whatever the reasoning is, there are people that are doing things in their life to help them, thinking that it's being reciprocated and completely unaware of being used. I couldn't believe how many individuals, the psychopath that I knew, how many individuals believe the ridiculous stories that he put himself in as a victim. I, I, I can't believe it. I mean, I guess I do believe it because I did the same thing. I believed all of the ridiculous stories. I'm shaking my head as I say that because whew, now on the other side of the pipe, it's insane. So my weakness, my blind spot was it wasn't just me. I wasn't the only one that was responsible in this coupling. In order for a relationship to work, both parties have to take responsibility for what they do, change behavior on an as-needed basis, or leave. But me putting it completely and squarely on my shoulders and then trying to see what I can do to fix it when there was nothing to be fixed, you can't control the actions of someone else. You can't fill the gap for someone else. Um, can't change anyone else. It has to be 50-50. If it's only one person fighting for it, it's going to fail. And that one person is going to be left empty. Another quality that I have that turned out to be a weakness with that person, but I think is a strength. I'm compassionate and I'm gentle. I have a really hard exterior at times, but in the center, I cry. I weep. I spiritual, spiritually bleed for humanity. I just don't wear it on my sleeve. Because I feel like no one should have to endure pain, but I also know that we all have our own dharma and our own karma. But honestly, if I could take someone else's pain away through my actions, I would. Now, sitting here on the other side of the pipe, I know darn well that that's not even a possibility. Oh, I can distract someone for a moment, but eventually the pain, once they leave me, will return. It's not, it's above my pay grade to try to take the pain away from someone else. And I spent years, years trying to take away, here's the kicker, fake pain away from someone. Ugh. And the target kept changing. So even if I could take the pain away from someone, the fact that it was fake and the fact that it constantly changed, the story changed, the events changed, the pain changed, exhausting. <laughs> the, even if I could take the pain away, I wouldn't be able to because the target was always changing because pity was something that fueled that person. Another strength of mine is that I apologize. And quite frankly, I mean it and I do it often. 
because I understand that I have faults. I understand that I play a role in every single situation, every dynamic, in every relationship in my life. I know that nothing happens in a vacuum. And if there's something going awry in a relationship, I'm contributing to it. Maybe a little, maybe a lot, but I'm contributing to it. So I apologize often. Now, here's the rub. Here's the difference. For a psychopath, they only apologize if they can get something out of it. You know, I would apologize in order to restore the peace and trust. The psychopath apologizes so they can move on to the next thing. They just want to get rid of this particular confrontation because it's energy wasting for them. They don't believe that they've done anything wrong. They're not sorry for anything, but they say, I'm sorry, to just kind of shut you up so they can go back to doing what they were doing before. But you see, now that you found out, they're going to do it a little bit better so as not to be found out. So when a psychopath apologizes, it is not like you and I apologize to, to like, you know, we really do feel remorse and we're apologizing. For a psychopath, it's to get something out of it. I remember him saying, you know, it's only wrong if you get caught. That just kind of hit right to the core because that's not the case. Another strength that I have that was used as a weakness is I strive to see the good in others. I'm not going to apologize for that. I think that everyone deserves a chance, no matter how many times they've messed up. If they're really trying through their actions, I think everyone deserves chances. Everyone, because none of us are perfect. I think everyone deserves to have the goodness seen in them. Now, I used to believe that there is good in everyone. (sighs) I think I still believe, okay, I think I'm going to change my story. I think there is good in everyone. I'm not so sure that everyone sees that inside of themselves, depending on their conditioning. So with that said, I believe that there's good in everyone. I don't believe everyone accesses that good inside of them. So even if they have good in them, my job is to stay vigilant and to stay aware for the individuals that don't access the good that's inside of them. I also understand the insecurity of other people. Here's the difference. I understand insecurities to help people to create a a connection with people. A psychopath understands and uses people's insecurities to manipulate, abuse, and exploit other people. Another quality of mine that I like is I love all children and animals. I consider these to be the innocents. They were brought on this planet into families, not of their own choosing, but to be loved and understood and raised. For a psychopath, that's not the same. In fact, anything that takes attention away from a psychopath is a problem, is an obstacle. I'm not going to go into details on how I know and have personal knowledge of how a psychopath and why a psychopath, through their actions, does not love children and animals. I'll let you draw your own conclusion to that, but it has been witnessed, and it is 
gut-wrenching. Another quality that I have is I'm able to enjoy time alone, like days and days. I like my own company. I like to be able to have the space, the time, the silence for introspection. That became a weakness because it takes a lot of time to be able to do the other stuff that the psychopath needed to do. So me wanting to be on my own and by myself was great so they can get done what they needed to get done, you know, whatever they were getting done behind the scenes. However, when they wanted to come back and I still was enjoying my time by myself, that would be like the biggest insult. How dare I not have any time for that person when they wanted it, the way they wanted it, after they were done getting attention from others. It's crazy, right? Another weakness was that I was too trusting. Again, it all boils down to, I really do believe people are good. I believe what people say. I believe that people are not in it to win it all the time. That's not actually true. And we have to stay vigilant to look out for those people. I'm not saying being so untrusting because you can't build relationships. You can't build a life with completely untrusting people. I say, I'm going to trust people until they prove me otherwise, until they prove to me that they don't deserve my trust. And if they don't deserve my trust because of their actions, then they don't deserve a place in my life. Now I can continue on and on with the different strengths and weaknesses and vanities that I had uh, that led up, that made me vulnerable, that made me blind to all of that. But the details, again, they don't really matter as much. The golden rule is what I'm living my life through now. Yes, treat others as you would want to be treated. Here's the thing. Make sure you're being treated the way you would treat someone else. That's a huge turning on its head, the concept, because I did the golden rule. I treated others the way I wanted to be treated. Why didn't they teach us? Make sure you're being treated the way you want to be treated. Now, I'm not saying in the exact same way, but being afforded the same level of respect, honesty, loyalty, and the list goes on, that you're giving Get that back in return and make sure you're getting that back in return through actions. And when you're not, there are three solutions to every single problem. The first one is accept it. And I tried to do that. I really did. I tried to accept the abuse, the stories the lies, the deceit, all that stuff. Now, by the way, all of this lying and deceiving and stuff like that, it's bad. It happens in a lot of relationships. That's not what was bad. It was the whole manipulation that was circled around it that made this a mindfuck, for lack of a better word. So I tried to accept less than what I deserved. And that didn't feel right. So I went to the next thing that we do when we try to solve a problem. We try to change it. Now, here's the thing. I tried to change the other person. That's impossible. 
And when I tell you it's impossible, it is impossible. I'm a pretty stubborn person. (laughs) And then I tried to change myself because I know that I can only change myself. But in changing myself, that actually felt even worse than the situation that I was in. Changing myself to jerry-rig myself into a lower vibration than myself almost felt like a spiritual death. So then I had to finally come to the acceptance that I only had one solution, leave it. So we can either accept the problem, change the problem, or leave it. I created this podcast not to hit over the head psychopaths, not to get sympathy, not for any of those things. I am doing well, better than I was than when I met that psychopath. And I'm incredibly grateful for all of the lessons that I was forced to learn. I'm doing this so people can see that smart, sensitive, um, successful people can fall for these types of individuals, and that there is no shame in it. It is the very shame that keeps us silenced for far too long. If you find yourself that you're in a situation where you are being abused emotionally, financially, physically, or all of the three, find help, really. You don't have to live your life in pain. If your safety is compromised, Be smart about it. Be quiet about it. Find a few friends or just one or a family member that you can trust, that can help you out of this abyss, that can keep you accountable as you go through this process of rewiring yourself or unwiring yourself from all of the trauma that's created through this Emotional abuse does not leave any scars, not on the physical body, but it leaves scars on the heart and on the soul. And I don't think enough attention is being brought to emotional abuse. And I'm not just talking about romantic relationships. I'm talking about uh, emotional abuse that bosses have towards their employees, parents, towards kids, kids towards parents, spouses, towards one another, and the list is really endless. Emotional abuse happens usually when nobody's watching. All right, my friends, I want to end this on a positive note. Everything that you're going through in your life is for a reason. That's not to be mistaken for it's your fault, but it is for a reason because there's a wake-up call that we need to have. And a lot of times, at least for me in my life, those wake-up calls come pretty intense. Know that you are in control of this life. You are the puppeteer. Maybe you gave your power away for a little while, but that cannot last forever. You cannot be held down. You cannot be morphed into something lesser than what you are, even if we think we're doing it for a while. Get help. Let me know what you think about the podcast. And to each and every one of you, my eternal wish for you 
is health, wisdom, and then speedy liberation from all pain, from all suffering. Yogis, with much love to you and for every sentient being, namaste. Catch you on the next installment of Follow the Yogi. Follow the Yogi.